Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Rock and Retrospect. I'm your host, Nick Baebeck. Today I am joined by one of our favorite returning guests. He was on so many episodes, I've lost count. He was on Teddy Pendergrass, The Spinners, and he's probably the reason why they are now inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> At least that's the reason that I'm going to just say that he is the reason that they're in. So it's uh, Tom Lane. How's it going, Tom? Great, Nick. How's it going? I'm doing well. I am so happy to talk to you today. And we're a few weeks, by the way, from the spinners getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And we talked a little before we recorded. And I'm just so elated that what are your favorite artists and some of them that we talked about are finally getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So it's like getting closer to the date. Getting closer to finally happening. Still waiting for my ticket from the spinners, but... uh... I'm sure it'll show up here in the next few weeks. <laughs> uh, they'll be around. <laughs> yeah, they'll be around. <laughs> uh, I'm really happy to, to that that they're finally getting inducted. It looks like New Edition is probably going to either perform or induct the spinners from the first release of talents that are going to be contributing to the show. So it should be a very exciting uh, program. Uh, yeah, and I'm going to, to that. How they actually do it, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious. I'm curious what songs they choose to with the spinners. Yeah, I'm sure they'll put about three, probably a medley. I was thinking a medley for them. They seem like a good medley type of like tribute. Yeah. But Rubber Band Man Live has to be amazing. That I will say. Check out our spinners episode, by the way. It's one of the first 10 episodes we've ever done of the podcast. It's really a fantastic episode. And I still get emails to this day about that episode. So it's really, really well, um good. It's it's a really wonderful tribute to uh, one of the best soul groups ever. But I'm here to talk to Tom tonight about one of his all-time favorite artists, and that's Elvis Presley. And we did an episode earlier this year with our friend David at Rock Docs, and we talked about the Baz Luhrmann biopic called Elvis. That was a great episode. Check that out in the archive. But tonight, we're actually going to be talking about a documentary that came out er- earlier this summer called Reinventing Elvis, the 68 Comeback Special, which chronicles Elvis's famous 1968 NBC special. And we're going to talk a lot about that tonight. So, Tom, Elvis is like your all time favorite artist, right? Like, I don't, I always thought that with you. So, is that true? He's at the top. If somebody says, well, who's your favorite artist of all time? Basically, all my friends and all well, family and everybody knows that I'm the the Elvis, the Elvis nut in the family. Of course, it was all passed down to me. My dad was a big, my dad was a huge Elvis fan. You know, so we're an Elvis family, basically. And uh, yeah, for me, he was, he was number one, still number one. Yeah, Elvis is so iconic. And there's just myths and legends and stories that it's almost impossible in many ways to condense Elvis's life and career, even to a biopic. So even like the right. Bosler movie, while it's fun and enjoyable, it only covers certain sections. It's only like a two and a half hour movie. But what I really liked about Reinvented Elvis is that it focuses on a very specific moment or time in his career and why this 68 special is just so pivotal for his career trajectory, especially what would happen later on with him, like you'd have this resurgence. I, I did want to kind of talk a little bit about the background for the Elvis 68 special. And I know Tom knows so much about this. So I would love for Tom just to talk about like how it came about and a little bit of the, like the logistics and things that happened well, they, that made it happen. At this point, 
at this point in 1968, when they filmed this special in, in June of 1968, Elvis' career is it's just a bunch of bad movies. And although a lot of the songs that he was charting, like from 65 to 68, some of them are pretty good. They're not hits anymore. I mean, nobody is nobody is is listening to the radio or, or running to the record store and telling their friends, "Hey, have you heard that new Elvis song?" You know, just, it's just, nobody's doing that anymore. And I think the most interesting thing that happened was when Elvis first met the producer and the director of the special, Steve Bender. Elvis asked Steve, "What do you think about my career?" And Steve Bender, right away said, well, I think it's in the toilet. Steve Bender likes to tell this story a lot. And there was a pause, you know, and he didn't know what the heck Elvis's reaction would be. And then Elvis started laughing. He said, well, you're the first person in a long time, maybe the first person ever to tell me about this, to tell me my career really sucks at this point. And, and it did. And so this is why the special had to happen. But before it happened, there was a deal made in 1967 late 1967, for a million dollars, NBC would produce and do the uh, TV special. In exchange, they would also finance another Elvis movie, which would turn out to be Elvis's last movie, Change a Habit, which came out in I think, late 1969. It was the 31st film. So one of the deals was there would be a one-hour special, and it would be sh- it would be shown in December of 1968. When Steve Bender first got the idea for this, and started talking with the colonel. The colonel wanted to do a one-hour Christmas special, similar along the lines to Andy Williams special or those Bing Crosby specials. Hey, those are nice. You know, I watched them when I was when I was a little kid. But luckily, Elvis didn't want to do it, and Steve Bender basically said, "I'm not doing it. And if I'm forced to do it, I'm I'm out of here. I'm not I'm not doing it." But luckily, Elvis didn't want to do it, and so Steve Bender was able to direct it and produce it. And that's how the special basically got put together. Really fascinating because Elvis, as the movie articulated, he went to the army, was drafted, and there's a whole controversy around that because Colonel Tom Parker apparently sort of allegedly arranged yeah. that to happen. I, I'm not sure about that mythology there. It's kind which, of, uh, you know, at that that at yeah. that time, 1958, Elvis, for a lot of the... Po- for, a lot of people think Elvis was just beloved when he first came out in 1956 yeah. when he exploded, but he was not beloved by everybody. There was a whole section of the country that hated him. Right. And this whole idea of, um, and he did get drafted. He got drafted in 1957, but he didn't go into the army until 1958. But this whole idea that the colonel somehow wanted Elvis to go into the army to like soften his image with everybody. And then, hey, look at this guy. He's in the army. He's, he's it's Elvis. He's, he's uh, in the army. He's uh, for the United States. He's a patriot now and all this stuff. And he's like negotiated, I think, is what somebody, one of the commentators said in here, like he negotiated. But it is kind of true that uh, one thing about that Elvis army thing is he, he could have got like a, I guess it was like a special privilege thing where you just become one of those people in the army entertainers who just goes around and performs for the troops throughout the world. Either Elvis didn't want that or the Colonel didn't want that. You know, you could take your pick. It's a mythology thing. I don't really know. Yeah. The whole story is there. You're right. Cause I, what I was going to say was that when they said that, that person about him negotiating the deal, I was thinking, 
is that even possible sort of like that seems a little i mean like not that the colonel is not a shady person he absolutely is it he's a terrible human being by yeah. a, any stretch of the imagination but i don't i don't know if that's possible either <laughs> and the documentary sets it up this way the hero is steve bender yeah <laughs> that's kind of weird how they do the hero is steve bender the star of course is elvis and the villain is of course colonel tom parker who as we all know was not a colonel was not tom was not parker and you know they 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 do a pretty good job in here of uh telling you who the colonel was and all his little shady backstory and all that but um i think steve bender said it best i think he said the colonel was a good promoter but he was not a good manager he yeah. knew nothing he knew nothing he knew how to get a million dollars into elvis's pocket to do movies and tv specials but he didn't know nothing about the creative side of anything. Basically, what you have in the special is the colonel's, in the background, you have the colonel's fascination with getting one Christmas song or Christmas songs in this in this special somehow. And oh, he was go, obsessed with making it a Christmas special. And I think that's what's funny because I kept thinking of the boss. He's going to go through any length to get that Christmas song in there. And it goes right, right up to the final edit as they show in this film. <laughs> The colonel knows nothing about how to put anything together. It's all about how to promote. He knows how to promote people because that's what he did. He promoted uh, Eddie Arnold and Hank Snow back before he had Elvis. So he knows how to do that. But he don't know anything else about anything. You know, and yeah. so luckily, luckily, the executive producer, the guy that was first contacted to put the special together, his name's Bob Finkel, mm -hmm. who's been around a long time at that point, too. Luckily, he called just the right person, Steve Bender, to put this all together. Now, Bender had a background, too, in music oh, yeah. documentaries. He did the Tammy show. Highly recommended for listeners who have never seen the Tammy show. The you go from Rolling Stones to James Brown, and I forgot who else is in there. Maybe Oh, everybody's in there. It's the Everybody miracles. who's popular it's... in 1964. Oh, is oh my it. God! The lineup is insane for the Tammy Show. It's the Beach Boys. It's Chuck Berry. It's James oh, Brown. It's, it's uh, Leslie Gore. The Miracles. The Supremes. I feel like I miss it. Other famous names, but it's yeah, like there, there's so many that come popping onto the screen one after another, and it's energetic. It's fun. It's well made. It has a background in that, and he also was a director on on another show called Hullabaloo. Yeah, he did that for two seasons too, and that's another music variety, basically music concert kind of show where they had different singers every week and so that that's you can find a lot of this stuff on on youtube as well yeah and steve bender also directed as the movie showed also he directed uh something with lucille ball but he also yeah. did a special for patula clark that i thought yes. was i really want to watch that special because apparently that was such a controversial special because that was the one with her and harry belafonte and he and she touched his arm, and then that created a whole. Um, they're both they're both singing. Um, is it like oh, an anti anti Vietnam song or some sort of political, you know, social on the song. path of glory? Yeah, something like that. And um, at one point, she walks up, and he's standing there. And, and brace yourself, America. She puts her hand on his arm. Oh no, you you, you know like. And as they show in this thing, there's controversy everywhere. You know, we can't show that. That can't be shown. What is going on? And I was surprised. I, I knew that that had happened. I remember that that reading about Steve Bender years and years ago. But 
I didn't know that there was so much controversy that, it, you know, you had headlines in newspapers and mm -hmm. besides your variety and Hollywood Reporter or whatever all those were back then. But um, so that that document, that special was made. That was the one he made before, right before this Elvis one. Yeah, I would suggest finding that one, too. That that that's an interesting one to look up as well. Yeah. And what's fascinating about uh, Bender is that. Hullabaloo and Tula Clark, and even as we see in the Elvis 68 comeback special, is there's this notion of racial mixing or racial harmony that's sort of trying to be achieved in these specials. And I think it's actually quite pioneering of Binder to do that at a time when it was the height of the civil rights movement, height of Vietnam War. Like as Douglas Brinkley, who's a historian who's in the documentary, he calls it the Great Divide, which is absolutely true. Yeah. And it's sort of wonderful how they introduce the historical events of 68, which is actually one of the like worst years probably in contemporary American history. Yeah. All this kind of in the backdrop of this Elvis comeback special. And what's so fascinating about all this happening is that Elvis is kind of out of fashion like you you kind of said before tom like he wasn't really making he wasn't culturally relevant and he wasn't like a i guess trailblazing artist like he once was because he made these movies because if i'm not mistaken tom when he made these movies throughout the 60s from like 61 to 67 68 he really didn't make much music right it was mainly focused on the movies right most most of most of his music that came out at least starting around 63 something yeah between 63 and 68 the music the music that was released that he put out most of it all came from the soundtracks right uh, you'd have some stray singles here and there like late 67 68 he actually put out guitar man and big boss man and a couple other songs i think another song written by jerry reed you know so he would occasionally put out these stray singles just about everything he was putting out, I think the last studio album he put out was in 1963. And between there and 68, there was a gospel album, How Great Thou Art, which came out in 67. But um, yeah, everything was centered around these movies. And, you know, from 19, I think from like early night, as soon as he got out of the army until 60, even up till 1969, he was knocking out three movies a year. Yeah, the output is I mean, he, he's like every every four months. I mean, he's knocking out a movie in spring, summer, winter. You know, it's three movies. And then, they, like you said, a lot of them are the same. There, there's some good ones in there. You know, I, I like a lot of the the earliest ones. I like kind of the best in Creole, Jailhouse Rock. Best one from the 60s, Viva Las Vegas for me, just because of the chemistry there. But a lot of them, man, they're interchangeable. And I think one of the... The commentators in here, Jillian Gar, who's written a bunch of good books on Elvis in the past, she mentioned it. She goes, a lot of them all had this strange thing, you know, he's a this and then he's a singer. He's a Navy frogman and a singer. <laughs> that That's from uh, Easy Come, Easy Go, which, which is one of his, I think, <laughs> has one of his worst songs in there. Yoga is as yoga does. And, and he's a he's a race car driver and a singer. You know, he's a boxer. Oh, but guess what? He's going to sing you a song over here. And they, they would always throw in some something in there just for him to sing. And so every, all these films are interchangeable. 
And if he did try and do a, like a more of a serious film, it didn't make as much money at the box office as these other ones like Fun in Acapulco or Blue Hawaii. You know, he tried some with Flaming Star, Kid Galahad, which are actually pretty decent movies. You know, I mean, they're I, I call them popcorn movies. You know, they're not going to win any awards, but you got an hour and a half to to spare. Some of those are OK. The thing about it is, is even Elvis hated doing these movies, tells his friends and, you know, the author will say. Even Elvis hated the movie. And guess what? Even He knew all the, a lot of those songs all sucked, you know. And what always annoyed me, though, is that, and what always discouraged me and what always upset me is that at this point in his career, in the mid-60s, his voice is really matured. He sounds really good. And he's wasting it on Yoga Is, Kissing Cousins. He's singing these really forgettable songs, and he's got this great voice. And when is he actually going to use it on something good? Well, luckily, your hero... <laughs> comes flying in and that is the important thing about the 68 special is that elvis wanted to perform here he knew this was the chance which is why they swatted away that christmas thing that they were going to come up with and he wanted to do this better he wanted to show people that he could still do stuff beyond these silly movies and luckily he had somebody that he trusted and that was all about Steve Bender. There's a famous story he tells, too, right at the beginning. He goes, you know, he sees Elvis looking out the window on, the, like, the second floor of his office, of Bender's office. And he's looking out the window. He's looking down at Sunset Boulevard. And he Elvis asks, you know, well, what do you think would happen if I went down there, you know? And, and so a couple of days later, Elvis said, you know, let's, let's just do it. Let's just go walk around Sunset Boulevard here. So they go down there and they're walking around. It's Elvis, you know, and it's five o'clock. It's around rush hour and nothing is happening, you know, and I think Bender kind of like he kind of puffs up the story. He goes, oh, there's a, you know, nice looking woman in a car and Elvis is waving at her or something like that. And then, you know, the woman just keeps driving. And then Elvis starts, he goes, Elvis starts getting a little nervous. Nothing's happening. So then they go back up and he goes, "Okay, I see you're right, you know. Nothing. He tells Bender, you were right when you told me uh, probably nothing's going to happen. Of course, they don't. One thing that they don't tell you in this one that Bender said later on in some other documentary is that a lot of the people that were driving around probably did recognize that that was Elvis. Mm-hmm. But they probably thought it was an impersonator. <laughs> you know, this is Sunset Boulevard, 1968, and it's the summertime and there's a lot of different people walking up and down you know, in Los Angeles there. So he probably thought it was an impersonator, but he did score another point, you know. So each each one of these things here, telling his, him his career's in the toilet, telling no one's going to recognize you anymore, all this stuff, all built up a trust thing. And I think with Elvis, he finally found somebody that he could trust. And it was, luckily it was Steve Bender who guided him through the whole month of June, basically. Yeah, and I thought one of the funniest things in the movie was when Bender said, I didn't even really like Elvis's music per se. And I yeah. think it was funny. He said something like, I like the West Coast music. And he mentioned yeah, he was a West Coast guy into the Beach Boys and uh, the Association, Jan and Dean and that stuff. And he was, you know, he was just one of those guys who's like, yeah, you know, Elvis. OK, yeah, I know who Elvis is, but I don't I don't go home and listen to his music. You know, I, that, that's 12 years ago or whatever when he first all this stuff but um yeah so luckily he also had a guy who wasn't really you know the biggest fan of him either 
but who also knew what the assignment was, and that was to bring relevance back into Elvis's career. And there's some amazing stuff in that documentary that he was able to do that's iconic now. Oh, yeah. Even if you think about it, too, with uh, just Elvis's attire, too, he's wearing the black leather suit or like the yeah. the, the one piece of uh, leather black suit that's just it's so iconic the leather suit is a stroke of genius oh it's so it's so between brilliant his, between his designer and elvis to come up with that idea i think it's even mentioned in here by one of the talking heads when you think of the special the 68 special and you think of how elvis looked was the one thing you think about you think about that black leather suit you think about him performing in the round, the arena segment and the sit down segment in that leather suit. I, I try and think now, wow, wouldn't what would have happened if he hadn't worn that? Man, he still probably would have been great, but there was something, there was a daring look about that whole thing. You know, it's like luckily they, they luckily they didn't have him come out and wear just some regular suit, you know. No, no, no. This was the new Elvis. This was a mature Elvis. You know, Elvis in 1956, when he first came out, he was 21 years old. Right. You know, this is 12 years later. He's 33 years old. He's a grown up man now. And his voice has also changed. It's more mature. To me, he never looked better than he did in this 1968 special. Yeah. Obviously, the leather suit enhanced it a little bit. I don't know, but he never looked better and he never sounded better. I yeah. think his voice, his voice never sounded as great as it did in this special. And he is pushing his voice at times to a limit. That he hadn't done since he first started out singing jailhouse rock and that stuff. He's he's committed to this music that he's singing. And it's also, especially in the in the in the arena, the stand-up segment, he's doing a lot of these old songs from the 50s. He's doing All Shook Up. I think he did Don't Be Cruel, Jailhouse Rock, um, Heartbreak Hotel, Hound Dog. I think he did Trouble also. But anyway, he's doing these songs, Love Me Tender, Can't Help Fall in Love. He's singing these songs with more power than he ever did again. If you hear some of the concert stuff that he did when he went back on stage in Vegas in 69 forward and he starts doing Hound Dog or something, a lot of times it's just throwing it. He's just it's just done as a throwaway in a in a medley. But here he's attacking these songs and he's singing them. He's he's really into it. And there's a ferociousness about it. You know, he's like. It's like as soon as he gets on stage, as soon as the music starts and he hits those first notes, especially in the stand-up segments, I mean, he's off and running. I mean, it's like, just like, leave me alone. Here we go. You know, it's, it's, it's when I first saw that stuff, it was, to me, it was just real chilling. You know, I mean, I was probably about maybe five years old when the special came on in 1968. I don't remember much of it, but I know my, I, I remember the beginning because I know my parents watched it. But I don't remember a whole lot of it after that. It wasn't until they reran it in 1977 after he died. They reran it. They did a three-hour episode where they reran the 68 special and the Aloha special. And I watched it. You know, I was like, man, you know, this, this is, <laughs> you know, especially the 68 special. Some of these parts I I, I had never seen before. And it, it was incredible. It was incredible. And, then, of course, we got to talk about the sit-down part of it, which is sort of like an early MTV Unplugged. Yeah, someone mentioned that in one of the interviews, and I kind of thought about it. It kind of weirdly feels like an early episode of Unplugged, because you see Elvis, who, by the way, he performs like a madman. I watched the special earlier today for the first time, 
the 68 special and he performs like i swear i got like 95 97 percent of the entire special like he's just singing he doesn't stop but what's so great is too that he interacts with the audience he's a little bit more playful he has the audience surrounded by him it's a little bit more of an intimate setting it's not like it's that that's another another stroke of genius there to have him surrounded Mm -hmm. by by the audience you can feel that energy you know, just coming up as, as he gets more comfortable in both segments, especially the sit-down segment, he comes out and he's very nervous. They did the sit-down segment first, and this is the first time he's been on stage since 1961. In 1961, he did a he did a benefit concert for the USS Arizona to have that built the uh, for Pearl Harbor, out in Pearl Harbor. And this is the first time he's been on stage in seven years in front of an audience singing and and they throw him up there right in the middle, you know, a little square there. They put him in front of all these other people around him in the sit-down segment. And when he first comes out on the very first show, you can tell he's very nervous. I mean, he's very nervous. He's sitting down. He's like starting to talk a little and kind of stumbling a little bit, trying to figure out what to say. Besides the audience, they surrounded him with the, with his friends, too, which also helped a lot. It's not like he just sat there by himself. You've got Scotty Moore, the guys that were there at the beginning from 54 onward, mostly from 54 to about 60, something like that, until he got out of the Army. You've got Scotty Moore on guitar, DJ Von, Fontana, supposed to be on drums, but he's basically just knocking away at a... Uh, a guitar case. <laughs> I thought know, that was hilarious because I had to like do a close. I don't think shot. I don't think he was ever there. It was supposed to be playing drums. I think he was there really just to pound away on something, you know. And uh, <laughs> it's I kind of fun. The extra bit that he's known for, right? Uh, you know, he's got a couple, he's got his sticks there and he's pound pounding, and then you know, you just have to go along with it. He's also got his uh, his 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 friend there, Charlie Hodge, playing guitar next to him. And Charlie Hodge, a lot of people think he's just the guy who handed Elvis his his scarves, his scarves, in the in in his concerts in the seventies, because that's basically what he did. Uh, but he was also in a gospel group in the in the fifties, so he he can also sing a little bit. And there's another guy there straight ahead to Elvis, a uh, big guy, looked like a big linebacker, Alan Fortas, who is not a musician at at, at all. He's just a friend of Elvis's, and they put him there, I think, just to put Elvis at ease a little bit, you know, to have some another friend there to bounce off of. At first, he's very nervous, and then he starts singing. And once he starts singing, some of the performances are just, they're incredible. I mean, it's like, and and he wants to sing them more than once. So he's doing Trying to Get to You in One Night. And what's interesting, a lot of the songs aren't even his songs, his hits. He's doing a lot of the classic He's doing a lot of the blues songs. He's doing some old old blues, some old R&B. You know, he does That's All Right, Mama. But he's also doing Lottie Miss Claudie. We he's, did an episode on Lloyd Price last year with Courtney. Shout out to that. A lot of these songs he also recorded, but they were recorded back in the 50s. Right. And he's feeling it. You know, and he does, he does an old Jimmy Reed song, uh, Baby, What Do You Want Me To Do? And it's dirty. And it's 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 he he's it's nasty it's dirty it, it's it's what he and he's feeling it that's the whole thing that's the excitement of the whole segment of this sit down segment and there were two two shows filmed each one an hour and in the sixty eight special they only show a little bit of it 
Mm-hmm. But you can go on YouTube and you can find each one of those shows. Or you can spring for the 68 special box set that they put out, I think, uh, three years ago. It has uh, sit-down shows on it and everything. But I highly recommend everyone head to YouTube where you can find both of the sit-down shows, only an hour long. And this is some of the greatest music he, he ever recorded. And when I talk about his voice, he's pushing it. The voice is being pushed right to the limit. And the great thing about those guys sitting sitting next to him is they egg him on. They egg him on to a better... To, to keep going. They're going to hear when he goes, when he's singing, what do you want me to do? Or one night he's like, one more time, one more time. And, and the guys are egging him on. The whole reason that sit down show came together was because Bender was walking by one night after they had, were filming and did rehearsals. And he hears Elvis, DJ and Scotty, Charlie in Elvis's dressing room jamming. They're just yeah. sitting in jamming. And singing, singing those old old songs. And he hears that and he goes up to the colonel and he says, I got an idea. His first idea was to film what they're what they're sing what they're doing in the in Elvis's rehearsal dressing room. But the colonel nixed that idea. Bender was persistent and he said, Well, I got another idea. And luckily, this time around, for all his negativity, the colonel said yes. And, and he told he told Bender, he said, you know, you can go ahead and film what film whatever you want on these uh, sit down segments, because most of it won't end up in the show anyway, because we're going to have a bunch of Christmas songs and you won't have time for a lot of that stuff. And luckily, luckily, he got outvoted on that one, too. Well, I think what's funny is that they were trying to find a loophole for that. And they were like, didn't Elvis record a version of Blue Christmas during the special somehow, some way? And he did. So they they kind of technically justified it be it a Christmas special in the, because there is a Christmas song in there. And yeah, I just, well, I love that. Uh, yeah. What happens is, is that what happens is, is that they come up with this final cut. And I think the final cut was like 50 minutes. Cause you got to add commercials because it was only a 60 minute show in 1968. And so it's a very tight 50 minute cut. They show it to the Colonel and Colonel's like, well, where, where the hell is my Christmas song at? You know, and, and Bender starts like panicking. And the executives there are all, you know, I think he mentioned all the executives there bowing down to the colonel, like, yeah, yeah, where's the Christmas song, you know? And all of a sudden it hits, it hit Bender. Wait, wait a minute. I think in that sit down segment, he does a version of Blue Christmas. So <laughs> they run back into the editing room, they throw it back in there, they show it to the colonel, colonel signs off on it. Boom, everything, boom, we got our TV special. <laughs> it's Christmas. Christmas. We're gonna. And it show happened it. in December, which I I love. Uh, honestly, uh, it's like I I, I, I just like I get tickled, Tom, just thinking how Colonel Parker <laughs> was so obsessed with it being a Christmas special, like in the vein of Bing Crosby and Andy Williams. It just it, it makes you laugh because for someone like Elvis, who's really trying to reinvent his image a little, make himself relevant again to the music yeah. scene and pop culture. It's like a Christmas special is the opposite <laughs> of doing that. That's so hokey. And well, what you, what you saw in the Baz and Baz's Elvis film didn't, it didn't happen. All this, uh, we dress it. We, we set up the, the 68 special set as a Christmas thing. And none of that Bender always said, none of that happened, you know, because there was not going to be a Christmas special, no matter how much, uh, the, you know, in the, in the film you have, you have the colonel just yapping away all day long. Where is, where is, uh, 
you know, let it snow, let it snow, or where is that? He just keeps going on and on, and Bender keeps just just shoving him away, just blowing him off, saying, no, 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 yeah, yeah, we're getting to it, we're getting to it, you know, and it never, he, a lot of that stuff never really happened like that, but yeah, I just, uh, I'm just so glad we didn't get 60 minutes of Elvis up there singing Winter Wonderland. (laughs) Winter Wonderland with snow all around him, and he's got a, he's got a sweater on and a scarf, or like, oh, you know. God. and luckily, luckily, Elvis was smart enough too to say, "I don't want to do that crap either." You know, I, I want, I want a real special music of singing songs I want to sing. And like I said at the beginning here, luckily everyone signed off on it. But also another thing about that stand-up, you know, the arena segment, which was filmed, I think, two days after the sit-down. When he walks out, he is nervous as heck, man. And they they show in this thing, he starts off. I think he's starting to sing Heartbreak Hotel and he misses his cue and he's very nervous. You can see it on his face and everything. He's sweating like he's crazy like, during that special. He's like, I can't, I, you know, it's like, well, I think Bender mentions too that before they, they show this, I think it's right at the beginning of this documentary, this whole segment where, where is Elvis? He's not coming out. He tells Bender, I can't do it. I can't do this sit down thing. You know, I can't, I can't go out there. They're, they're going to laugh at me. I'm going to make a fool of myself. You know, I can't, I can't do it. And Bender tells him, you got to get out there. You got to get out there. He goes into the control booth and it's sort of like, uh, he's not showing up and, and everyone's starting to panic. And then all of a sudden in view of a camera, here he comes, this mythical figure rising from the ashes. And there he is standing right in front of everyone. And on the stand-up in the arena segment too, it's very nervous. But what gets me is that on the second go-round, when he when he starts singing "Heartbreak Hotel," he grabs the mic, which is a stand-up mic, and you can see his hand sort of like it's like he's raring to go though. You know, his hand is moving on the mic, and as soon as the music starts, and he goes, "Well, since my," and he's off, he's off and running. You know, and I think Bender said it the best. You know, he was so nervous to get on stage. You know, you know, sit down the arena segment. But once I got him up there, I couldn't get him off. You know, it's the old Broadway thing. Get him the hook. Get him out of there. You know, so he just didn't want to get off the stage, you know, and it's it's amazing performances. It's some of the greatest stuff I've ever seen. If there's any Elvis doubters out there, there's if there anyone out there who kind of doubts his talent post 60s or whatever like that or doubts his talent, period. Just watch those segments there. And you're going to oh, come yeah. away with the whole. He's even playing a little guitar here and there, too, on the sit-down segment. You know, that is him playing, like, rhythm guitar and electric guitar. It's very primitive. It's only three chords. I mean, he's just not, you know, Elvis always said I can only play three chords, you know. But I faked it for many years. <laughs> but he is, you know, in the, in the Sun Studio sessions, he is playing rhythm guitar, you know. And he's that is him on That's All Right, Mama and stuff like that. And in the special, you get to see him play a little bit electric guitar and rhythm guitar as well. It's very primitive. Don't expect Jimi Hendrix, something like that. But he is playing it. It's also great that he used uh, Scotty Moore a lot on this thing. It was Elvis's idea to bring Scotty Moore and DJ on there. The, The bass player that they had in the original on those Sun Sessions and his 50s hits, Bill Black, he he passed away in 1965. So that's why he wasn't there. 
I thought it was such a nice touch to have his old band with him because I think that's part of what's so great about the 68 specials. It reminded you that Elvis is a special artist and he's a talented artist. And I feel like that's what this whole special was about to like help him gain that confidence that yes, he is the king of rock and roll for a reason. And like you said, Tom, if you have any doubts, watch the actual special from start to finish. It's absolutely, it's mesmerizing to watch. And Elvis doesn't stop that whole hour long special. It's, it's just, it's, it's so wonderful to watch an artist of that caliber, just give it everything he's got. And the audience is with him. The people around him are with him, like the musicians, the backup dancers, it's just, it's a very beautiful thing to see. And yeah, and I, yeah, don't, just, I don't want to diminish the other segments that are in there, too. There's a great gospel segment in there. There is. Because Elvis, one of, yeah, probably outside of rock and roll, gospel was probably his second favorite type of music to sing and listen to. And also, if, if you look, look in this gospel segment in the backup singers, the Blossoms, you're going to yes. see Darlene Love there. <laughs> yes yes darlene love is up there singing background vocals on um whatever he was singing where do i go to the lord saved and uh yeah that's still pretty cool to see her up there you know it's like and she is still a big big uh always has good things to say about elvis even to this day and she still performs in fact she just did it this past summer she performed at graceland where they have concerts now and she did perform at Graceland. And she was there, I think, during Elvis week as well. So I love yeah, Darlene Love it's, so it's, much. It's, it's funny, but yeah, there's a, there's a gospel segment there. There's also a segment where Elvis plays like this traveling, uh, this traveling musician, which is sort of a takeoff on um, sort of like the story of Guitar Man, the song. Um, what else is there? And there's a famous, the, the famous bordello scene. <laughs> what is your thoughts on the bordello scene, Tom? Because that is, I watched it and I was like, it's weird. It's, because when it's you watch risque it, it's- for 1968. That's what I can say. And yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's I, can see, I can see why it got cut. Nowadays, you know, people wouldn't even bat an eye. You know, they see that stuff in a, in a, in a show or TV special. But even, even now, you know, you look at and like, wow, that's uh, that's pretty something he's got going on there. I mean, you got the women right up on top in, of him there. And, this, and like, yeah, it's like I could see why it got cut. But I'm glad they it got for anyone who doesn't know, the scene was shot and the NBC executive said, no way are we putting this on uh, on nine o'clock or whatever on a Friday or what I forgot what night it was Saturday night. Forget it. We're not, we're not showing this. So it got cut in 1977 after Elvis died when NBC reran it. One of the, I guess, what is it called? Video, whoever works in the video department there, they pulled out the long version, the uncut version of the 68 special. And that's what got put into this show called out. Our Memories of Elvis, which Ann Margaret hosted, 1977. And from then on, it's always been that 90-minute version with the bordello scene in it, which is good. <laughs> it's good, but it's like a little... Well, that's what that's what Steve Bender wanted, you know. I think they told him to, uh, when they saw the bordello scene or something, they 
they told him to like you know erase this or get this out of here or something like that and luckily nobody did luckily they, they saved a copy of it and that's what's shown today so but if you were watching this in 1968 you didn't even know that that scene existed unless you knew the history of the of the special i was going to ask you tom about the way that the special is constructed at times it's very weirdly put together in in my eyes because it's sort of like a variety show and then some of the segments are just seem so random at times like the bordello scene and then there's a scene where uh he has a like the gospel singers like like the some of the segments it just feels so odd oddly put together like but it's also elvis is so electrifying and that right. it's almost like who cares kind of yeah well i gotta put in a special shout out to the beginning of the special which has elvis up close as close as you can get to his face singing trouble and and the moment he looks into the camera you're looking for trouble like that right and he starts singing i still get i mean i get pretty excited when i see that when i saw that for the first time i was like oh well this this is going to be something you know and then he starts singing the whole guitar man and then in the background you have all these little elvises you know uh, and that's another iconic image too. Of, uh, and then you have his name, Elvis, there. But yeah, I know what you mean. It, it's kind of. And then from there, they cut right into this, like, think into the sit down, the sit down segment, real fast. Goes right in there, and it, there's some abrupt cuts in there. I think they were trying to squash everything in there. You know, it's all too and, busy at times. Like that was <laughs> kind of what I was kind of thinking. Like it, it's all good, like like individually. Sure. But you don't even very... get a whole lot of you don't even get a whole lot of the sit down segment in this, especially in in this. Uh, I think in the sixty minute segment, in the sixty minute special that they showed you, you get just very just like almost just a, like a taste of that sit down special. You just know that there's so much more that right. got cut. That's the that's the incredible thing. I mean, I think there's only maybe fifteen minutes, 10, 15 minutes of that. Sit down stuff in there. Fourteen minutes. Somebody said, "Yeah, that sounds they, about they right." Shot, they shot two hours of that stuff, you know. And so, but they had they had they had to squash everything in there. We had to get that gospel segment. We had to get the the guitar man segment. And of course, we got to get the end. If I can dream, we got to get the arena segment in there. So they they had to they had to put a whole lot of stuff in there. And he does so got, many songs; it's ridiculous. Like. I, like how many would you say there are, Tom? That he he did even melody wise. It's got to be two dozen. Oh my god! I mean, just the god. I mean, in the, even in the gospel segment, I, I don't know if there's two or three songs in there. And then he's he does big boss man. He does guitar man. And the sit down segment alone has and there's so many songs on that. Yeah, he's covering quite a bit. Luckily, none of it. It's it's just weird how it is. The sit down segment. He just wants to jam to some of them old blues and R&B stuff. And in the, the stand-up segment, it's sort of a look back to his 1950s. But he doesn't do, he does do Are You Lonesome Tonight in there also and sit-down thing. I think he does Love Me as well. Yeah. So, um, most of it is, is he doesn't do a whole lot of the, the stuff in the 60s that he released. And can't, I guess you can't blame him, really. It's like a lot of it was pretty just the soundtrack stuff. Yeah, that's the thing is like it focused mainly on his glory years as a recorded artist, but not yeah. really anything that he did 
while he was making those movies throughout the uh, 60s. One of the women in here, I think it was uh, Jillian Gar or maybe Alana Nash, who a lot of Elvis people know, Elvis fans know, because she shows up on a lot of Elvis documentaries. She, and she's written a lot of books about Elvis, a bunch of books about Elvis. So I, I think it's her that mentions that before he gets in the Army, he's, he's this innovative, trailblazing rock and roll, already a rock and roll legend. He's the king. When he gets out of the Army, he's no longer the innovative rock and roll star. He's a, he's a totally different Elvis. And those films had a lot to do with that image that just sort of slid as we get closer to that 68 special where he's irrelevant, basically. In the music business. That's part of the problem is that he shell of himself in a way. And you can tell like in the movies, like he's not having a lot of fun making them either. This, at least it looks like he's actually enjoying himself. Like he's smiling. He's interacting with the band and the, the audience. You could tell sometimes when a performer has their heart in it and you could tell he absolutely does it in the special. One segment well, that I really love that I just wanted to mention is his rendition of Memories. I think that is such an underrated Elvis song. Written by Mac Davis. Yes, and Billy Strange. Yes. And of course, Mac Davis and maybe Billy Strange again, I can't remember, wrote uh, In the Ghetto, which is one of his first post-68 comeback special hits. That's mm-hmm. early 1969. Yeah, that that song, um, I hear it a lot on the Elvis channel, but you won't really hear it anywhere else. It wasn't a big hit when it was released. I think it was released after If I Can Dream. I think it got to like 36 on the Billboard chart, but it it's it's a good song. Yeah, it's a good song. It's one he, of the few he that after he, did, he sang that twice. He, the one they show in the documentary is different than the one they show on the 68 special there's when he's sitting down between the two women two different women the, the in the documentary the, the two women that are sitting between elvis were the daughters of bob finkel who was the executive producer that's another weird thing about this thing they tell this story for the sit down sit down part of it where steve bender asks about the tickets for the people to go and watch it and he mentions to Colonel and Colonel Parker says, you, 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 you want, you want me to handle getting, you know, the type of people I can get in there, you know, the women into the audience, uh, the type of people that's, that love Elvis, give me the tickets, you know, give me all the tickets and I'll fill up everything with his, all his adoring fans. And I'm not, I don't know how much of this is true, but then come the day of the taping, there's nobody there. Yeah. They look outside they look outside and it's a lonely planet out there. There's like nobody, there's like nobody standing in line waiting to go in to watch the sit down show. Bender and some other people have come up with this idea. Call all, call, have everybody call your friends, call the executive producers, daughters, whatever, bring them all in. Right. And then also, and I don't know if this is true. There's a Bob's big boy <laughs> down, down the street and Bender and somebody else, they walk in there and they say, Hey, any of you want to come see Elvis for free down over here or whatever? And I guess that's what that's what Bender says in here. And I don't know how much of that is all true. But uh, if you look in the audience, especially in the in the arena segment, it's a, it's an odd looking audience, huh? There's like there's young there's young people, a lot of young women, not really young. I'm talking twenties, thirties, that are around the around the stage. And then if you look at some of the people sitting there, there's a lot of old people there. 
I mean, there's there's one. They're, they look like they're in their seventies or something like that. And I don't know who those people are. They could be the parents of somebody or grandparents or something. But that whole story, I don't know how much of that is all true or not. But uh, it, it's an interesting part of the thing is that who was actually in the audience watching all this? I guess Priscilla was there too, especially for the the, the arena segments. But I always thought that was I always thought that was interesting, you know. Walk into some uh, burger joint and go. Any of you guys? Any of you people here want to come see Elvis live? You know, and I was like, well, yeah, sure. But uh, yeah, that's interesting as well. I mean, if someone said to me, "Hey, you want to go see Elvis at that?" I'd be like, "Hell yeah, let's go, let's go!" Like, you, ma- you imagine the stories you're telling yes. for the rest of your life. I mean, the the one the one lady there who was the daughter of Bob Finkel. She's in this documentary recounting what happened. And she goes, you know, we're sitting there, we're sitting there and he comes over and my sister's on the other side and he sits down and he starts singing. He's all sweaty and everything. And she goes, which is fine with me. <laughs> they like laughing. And so, yeah, you imagine. And what I, every time I watched the, the 68 special and I was watching it here too, because it's a different take of memories that's not in the special. I'm looking around at the, the crowd, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm watching these people. And their expressions, and some of them are just like like in a daze. You know, they can't believe they're they're this close to their hero. You know, and they're looking. There, a lot of them are young, you know, young young men and women, and they're just like, I keep thinking about, like we were saying, I keep thinking, man, imagine them telling these stories if if they're still around here, fifty years later or whatever, going, yeah, that was me right there. You know that I I saw Elvis in at that '68 special. And people go, no, no, you didn't. Yeah, and especially if your if your face is on the video there, which uh, they pan out in the audience quite a bit. You know, it's just it's amazing. I, but one thing I was going to say too is that a lot of people think Elvis's '60s stuff was just a big wasteland of nothing. But he had a, up until about 1963, he was he he was still knocking out some great songs. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't obviously the. the the story is that the Beatles came along and pretty much knocked Elvis off of his perch and so on and so forth, which is actually true. Because if you look at his chart uh, singles success from 64 up until that special, there's not much happening there. In fact, the only, the only top 10 hit he had was in 1965, which got to number three. He did a cover of Crying in the Chapel, the old Orioles song. That was a big hit, but it was recorded in 1960. And it was never released. It was supposed to be put onto a gospel album, but they never did. So his biggest hit from 64 to 68 turned out to be a song he recorded in 1960. So a lot of, and he would, you know, he would pepper the charts here and there. He'd have a song at number 12 or 13. None of them really, they just did not hold on. You know, you don't think about them today very much. And it's true, the British invasion, this new rock and roll basically knocked him right out from 64 to 68 but before that he had a lot of great songs he had a lot of great songs and um yeah they started just concentrating on the soundtrack stuff so that was it you know and elvis couldn't stand singing that garbage either so he's like uh you know yeah you're absolutely uh right i i think that that's part of the problem with elvis sometimes is like this mythology (laughs) or things that just maybe aren't necessarily true about him and i just i think that 
that's what this documentary does kind of well is that it sort of reinforces this idea that he was a, an artist and a musician at his core, even if he didn't go on the stage for almost a decade, he still had that like animalistic raw energy that he was known for. And the movie kind of maybe not so much as he, they, he did a decade earlier, but like he was considered a threat or uh, um, to not only the establishment, but like to youth culture and to pretty much anyone that would be in his target demographic. And I think if you put that in the context of like the cold war and then later on, maybe not so much in the 68 special, he is this like lightning rod to so many people. And that's where the influence sort of um, kicked in. And that's what I was going to actually ask you, Tom, throughout the movie, we hear see these talking heads and we see a segment that I would love, love to get your take on with Darius Rucker and other musicians that are performing Elvis songs that are interspersed throughout the movie. How did you feel about that creative decision? I thought it was okay. I, I could see why they did that. They were trying to show Elvis's influence on different genres. Right. In different eras. I mean, the one guy, the, the young the young man there, Drake Milligan, who I think does blue suede shoes in there. He also played Elvis in a, C- a very short-lived CMT show called Sun Records. Oh, I yeah, I remember that. It came out like about three years ago. It was supposed to be a series, but it, it, it got canceled like after like 10 shows or something. And he plays Elvis in that. I forgot and, about that show until you said Yeah, that. he was also on American Idol too, I remember. I could see why they used him in there. You know, just to show the, the, how the Elvis influence just keeps going. With Darius Rucker, it's it, they're either showing him for the country influence or for Elvis's influence or however you want to talk about on the African-American side, you know. Um, and then with um, Mafio, I never heard of him. He's Dominican Republic. I think it's to show Elvis's influence on uh, outside of the United States. Because right. Elvis was a worldwide phenomenon when he when he blasted off in 1956. I mean, he's he's reaching the young Beatles in in England, and he's reaching all these different countries and stuff. So that was my take on it's okay, you know. I mean, if it's not in there, it's all right. But I could see why they did it just to show the influence that he still has today. Darius Rucker did a you know did a whole lot of uh, meaningful quotes in there i mean at one point they, they i think they asked him why is elvis so like meaningful today or something like that and he goes well elvis is matters because he's the king of rock and roll you know he doesn't actually tell you you know his yeah. personal <laughs> it's just sort of like well he's the king of you know so i thought i thought that was like well, maybe we could have done without some of their opinions but uh i think the the, the younger guy there drake milligan had some um he said some pretty interesting things here and there yeah I, I agree. I didn't. I wasn't as big into the musical performances because it kind of took me a little bit out of the movie, and I felt like it was a little bit awkwardly put in. They could have did with just having shown maybe those guys, you know, or maybe just left it on the cutting room floor or something. I don't know. I, I know what they were trying. I know what they were up to. It, it's almost hard to believe now he did cause a, a, a firestorm. This new rock and roll. It's devil's music. What the heck is going on? We can't have we can't have this stuff polluting our country. What I loved about Elvis too, he always stuck up for rock and roll music at that time. 
there were there were reporters who would ask him, "Hey, is this music contributing to juvenile delinquency?" You know that old that old uh, cliche. And he'd always say, "No." He goes, "I don't, it, I don't see how rock and roll could could do that." You know, they they would try to egg him on with these questions: "Is rock and roll a fad?" No, rock and roll's. A, he always stuck up for rock and roll. You know, he could have easily, and maybe even the colonel could have told him, "Hey, let's smooth this out a little bit." You know, let, let's say, let's say, uh, you know, I'm going to start just singing pop songs. That was one of Elvis's influences too. Was pops uh, pop singers like Dean Martin? So he could have easily went that route for the rest of his life. But he always stuck up for rock and roll music. He never denigrated it. He always knew what he liked to sing. And that that's the amazing thing about him. Yeah, I think that is sort of partly why Elvis worked so well, is that he at his core, he is rock and roll. And I think that that's kind of how he has lasted all these years. He is the defining rock and roll star in so many ways. And in the duck in the um the concert special, what I love too is that you see all of Elvis's influences from gospel, RB, pop, uh there's 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 others that like styles that you're just country like, music, especially. Oh, of I was like thinking of like what is the big one? And I, I forgot country. Well, well, Elvis always said that he was influenced by RB, gospel, especially especially gospel quartets. He loved he loved gospel quartets. In fact, in his in his personal record collection at Graceland, he's got so much gospel music in there. You know, white quartets, black quartets, blues, country. Yep. Especially country. You know, those are his I think so. We got R and B, blues, country, and um what did I say? R and B blues, country and gospel. And he mixed that all up. And I think one of the people in here. Kalef Fasena, who wrote for the New York Times and now writes for New Yorker and does a whole bunch of other things, he mentioned it was a fusion of stuff that he put together that was very unique. This was this is what this is what Elvis did when he first came out. You know, he put all his all his influences in there into a very unique sound. I mean, when he first walked into Sun Records in 1953, the woman working there, Marion Kesker, I believe was her name, asked him. You know what type of music do you sing? And she, he said, "I sing all kinds." I mean, this is 1953, and he's like 19 years old. And she asked him, "Well, who do you sound like?" And he goes, "Well, I don't sound like anybody." You know, and I think that's that that is the genius of Elvis. That is the what made him so unique. If you listen to a lot of the music that he did, even when he first came out, there's a mix of everything. He's pumping out gospel, like you said, and he shows that in the in the special too. They make sure they highlight all of his influences. And I think that's the beauty of the special is that yeah. it sort of showcases how musically diverse he is. Like he, right. like of course he is rock and roll, but he's so indebted to all those other genres and styles. And I think that's what works so well. This is something that everyone needs to understand is that all of these great artists that came out in the rock and roll explosion, they all had an influence. Of course, well, yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, Little Richard, he was influenced by gospel music. Chuck Berry was influenced Maybelline's kind of was basically like a country song. He was influenced by country. He was influenced by singers like Charles Brown and Nat King Cole. So everybody, all those original people, they all had an influence. It's not, and that is what rock and roll, that's how rock and roll got in, invented. You know, people always say, well, you know, who invented rock and roll? Well, rock and roll was invented by many different people 
and many different records and many different sounds. Not one right. person. I mean, Elvis invented his own style of rock and roll. Chuck Berry invented his own. Little Richard. Singles like Rock Around the Clock, Rocket 88, Sister Rosetta Tharp. Everyone had that own their own thingy. Louis Jordan from the late 40s, the great jump blues singer. You put it all together and everyone, there's all kinds of different influences in rock and roll. And there's not one person, I always tell people, there's not one person who invented it, but they all, but they all helped invent it. It's a spirit. That's like, it's and, a and spirit. It, and you yeah. know, you, you got to throw in the country, Hank Williams, you know, songs like Moving On Over and things like that, that had a rock and roll feel to it. That that's what hooked a lot of that's what hooked Chuck Berry. That's what hooked Elvis, that country sound there, too. Very underrated. You know, we're seeing country artists getting in, inducted now into the rock and roll. People like, country. You kidding me? What the heck's going on? They don't understand the history of rock and roll. You right. Know? And so they're they're pretty ignorant when they what the heck? Well, you know, Willie Nelson or uh, Dolly Parton or whatever. You know, they don't understand how important Bill Monroe is. You know, Elvis covered Blue Moon of Kentucky, changed the arrangement and everything. They don't understand how important those country singers were to rock and roll. Absolutely. Especially to rockabilly. You know, those gospel singers, too. Yeah. All the rockabilly singers I could think of have definitely country elements in them, like Eddie Cochran, Gene Vincent, among others. And all those guys had had that, that country, almost like, yeah, that country twang to it. That's exactly it. Before we wrap it up, I want to talk about the final number, and that's the iconic rendition of If I Can Dream. And this song is just so beautiful on so many levels, like lyrically, and the way Elvis delivers it in this special. It just, I don't know, like watching clips of it, it still gives me goosebumps to this day, just you know, with everything going on in the world in 1968, like this, because the song in many ways is a reaction to Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. And it's a play on his, like the title of the Elvis song is a play on If I Have a Dream, which is one of the most famous speeches like ever, like just, just in, in human history. And I just, I, I love the fact that Elvis kind of pays tribute to that. And he felt like he had to at least acknowledge the turmoil that was happening in America. Cause this is also in the wake of the Robert Kennedy assassination that happened earlier that year and Vietnam. And like Elvis is not usually an artist to get into political or social issues. That's not really his thing, but it was, um, yeah, that if I can dream just still gets me like, I, I, I have goosebumps thinking about it right now. Yeah. Well, you, you know, when you think about Elvis and, and, and civil rights, you know, what he did in the fifties when he came out, and into kind of integrated the music of his influence of white uh, and, and black music and that type of stuff. You know, he had a he had a large African American following in the fifties, and so he was an admirer of Dr. King. He was definitely an admirer. We know that. And his his assassination really shook him up. And then while they're filming and getting ready to film. 68 special in June of 1968, Bobby Kennedy is assassinated and that shakes him up too. And so this performance is quite simply one of the greatest performances you're ever going to see. One thing to hear it on a radio or something back in those days, you have to see the performance. Even if you don't, not a big fan of Elvis, you have to see him perform it. 
it's amazing. His vocals, I think he did it. I think he may have only done this in maybe two, two, three takes, maybe a couple of takes. And his performance, it's, it's unreal. It's electrifying. I mean, he is reaching down. He's finally getting a song. Like you said, Elvis didn't really record these type of songs. He didn't do social commentary songs, political songs or whatever. But everything is building up in the world at this time. And he is reaching down. And I don't know. It's very hard to describe. It's, it's thrilling. But there's, there's such passion in his vocals. And it's, it's very incredible. I think it, a lot of people think this is the greatest vocal performance that he ever did. It's quite possible it is. I mean, there's some other things in that 68 special that are great too, but but this one, the message of the song, the way he delivers the song, it's it's incredible. Everyone out there hopefully has watched it by now. And if you haven't watched it, and even if you're not the biggest Elvis fan out there, watch this performance. It's so famous because even if you look at it isolated from the special, I think it's just so well known. And I think to me, it's the finale. They needed a song. They wanted a song Mm -hmm. at the end there. There was something, they needed something. And luckily they, the guy who wrote it came up to it, played it for Elvis. Elvis said, play it again, play it again, play this 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 was something he believed in, and so luckily it ends the special on an incredible note. It just it's just incredible. You watch it, and it, it's like that's it. On come the credits. But for a minute there, you're just sitting there going, "Holy crap!" And it's like, "What is that? The hell?" You know? I don't know if they had. I don't know if they people back then they couldn't rewind the tape like we can now and rewatch it again. You know, it was on. You had to wait for it to be reran which they didn't do until the summer of 69. So, you know, until then, you know, it's like, what the heck was that? You know, it's like, I want to see that again and again and again, which is why it has so many views on YouTube. <laughs> it's like, it's unbelievable. It's a showstopper. And I think it's literally it's, the finale to end all finales for any show. It's just, it's just, it's almost like a he never work sang of it art. Again. He never sang it again. I, I that's kind of the tragedy because it's just he does gives like one of but, his greatest performances ever. But the thing about like, it is, I kept thinking, how would he be able to top that? You know, in concert. Let's say the following year, nineteen sixty nine, he opens for his yeah. first real concert. Is that going to be the last song he sings? It's like okay, I don't know how he tops that. You know, nineteen seventy, he used to always sing "Bridge Over Troubled Water." Okay, maybe we take that out and do "If I Can Dream." But I think it's just one of those songs where you sing one time. You get one incredible performance out of it, and then you just like leave it, leave it yeah. for history. I don't think he would have ever sang it again. It just doesn't feel like a song that they could slot in anymore. It just, you know, like 1973 is just going to throw in if I can. It doesn't have that same impact that it did in 1968 in December, in the one of the most turbulent years in U.S. history. One thing we got to mention too before you leave too, Steve Bender after this special was over. Elvis gave him a phone number to, you know, call yeah. me anytime. And he calls him and he can't get through anymore. Bender never sees Elvis again after this. He does see him in the summer of 69. He sees Elvis in concert when he opens up in, in Vegas. He said, oh, Elvis was incredible. He was incredible. This still looking, still looking great and sounding great. And then he said he saw Elvis like maybe two or three years later when Elvis is starting to grind out those concerts one after another, two shows a night with the jumpsuit and all that, you know, 
He said it wasn't the same. He said it changed. He goes, he was no longer singing to the audience. He was just singing up on stage. It wasn't, didn't have that same electricity anymore. He never saw him again. And, you know, it's like, what could have happened had Bender maybe have stayed in his life? But of course, he never saw him again because the colonel never wanted him. That's to the thing. <laughs> that's the whole thing, you know. That's the that's the tragedy of it. Elvis Elvis needed somebody after the glory of the '68 special and the comeback concerts. He needed somebody who could speak to him again to tell him what's happening and what what's happening and what's not happening in your career right now. And he never had that anymore. And I thought also to add to that is uh, Bender talked about how. He basically got screwed out of the royalties for the soundtrack, which I didn't know. I knew nothing about them until I watched the documentary. And that was, it, that was new to me also. There's some type of thing where he would get a royalty for every record that was sold because of the, the concert, like his involvement. And then the colonel basically negotiated a deal with RCA and then basically. Yeah. And he negotiated the yeah. deal before he even told Bender that there would be no TV soundtrack. Right. He really blasted the colonel in this thing. He called him really something like he was a real this or that. It's like he does. And the way they filmed everything with the colonel with the smoke in the background. And all that. It's like and the ominous music, you know, every time he's about to come on, you know, it's like we got to talk to the colonel. It's ominous music. But, um, yeah, I highly recommend it. I think the the documentary works almost as a documentary about Elvis himself, because they do mention how he, how he blasted onto the scene in 56 yeah. to 68. They barely mention a little bit what happens afterwards, but certainly if you want to know the story of Elvis Presley, you have to know the 68 special. It's one of the greatest comebacks in music history. I mean, we talk about Tina Turner's comeback, the Elvis comeback. I mean, in fact, it wasn't even called the 68 comeback. <laughs> that, I'm sure that they would have never ever called it anyway. The 60. Can you imagine if they had billed it as the 68 comeback special? The Colonel would have said, "What are you talking about?" It was Singer presents Elvis. You know, it was really a tame, a tame uh, thing. It didn't become. <laughs> they didn't add that comeback special or 68 comeback until later into the 70s after it was shown. <laughs> I mean, the way that they advertised it was more that it was his first TV special and like the first yeah. time that he was on stage and however many years like and i just want to mention too that actually when bender talked to elvis at first elvis didn't want to do tv he right. didn't like doing tv because he remembered some of the things that happened being shot from the waist down having to sing to that stupid hound dog on the uh, steve allen uh i don't want to call the poor hound dog stupid but having to sing to that hound dog on the steve allen show where he's dressed up in this suit elvis is and he's looking yeah it's just it's just uh, and he remembered all that and his thing was, I don't want, I don't want to do any of that stuff. And lucky they talked him into it by telling him, "No Christmas special. We got something better in mind for you." Yeah. And so luckily, luck, everyone signed off, and it's a, it's a good special. I was, I've seen so many documentaries, mm-hmm. so you know, I'm always a little bit, uh, man, maybe I've seen it all before. And even if you have seen some Elvis documentaries before, this does a good job of focusing on one segment while also adding a little bit of how he got to that segment. I highly recommend it to everybody. I highly recommend it too, because I I think that's part of what makes it work so well is that Elvis is this complex figure where it's, it's almost like you can't do him justice with a two hour documentary. And I feel like 
what this movie does so successfully is that it kind of contextualizes and historicizes where Elvis was at this moment in time and why this was so important for his career and kind of gave him this second life afterwards. And then you would have some of his greatest songs like Suspicious Minds and Bird in Love and In the Ghetto, among others. And and, and it's like this idea too, like when Elvis is one of those people that he just like his aura, his spirit, his stature, it just never dies. You know what I mean? It's just like people keep going back to Elvis. Well, the one thing I want to say, and this is what I always say this too. I don't think any performer in history, and of course I'm biased because I'm his number one fan. I don't think any performer in history had the charisma that Elvis Presley had. Oh, it was I, off the charts. It I mean, it, it, is, it is, like you said, it is just, you could you could name the greatest entertainers ever, the Beatles and Michael Jackson, some of these guys that were worldwide super mega stars like Elvis. But Elvis had, he just had something. And even in, you know, even in his lowest points of his career, he still had this amazing charisma. And what you're going to get when you watch the special, and even when you watch some of the scenes that they show in that doc in this documentary, you're going to get a you're going to get a feel of that charisma. And yeah. it's, especially at the, right at the beginning when he's singing trouble, the charisma comes right off your screen and he's right there. I mean, it's just it's just amazing. And I don't think anyone in history has ever had that. I don't think so either. And, and here we that. are in 20 here we are in 2023 and we you know, we're still t- talking about this what amazing uh presence he was. You know, especially on screen, if you caught him right, which they did in that in that 68 special. It's just this once in a lifetime sort of talent. Like, I I, I, I don't even know what else to say. I'm like speechless about it, quite honestly. I just think that he um, he was so special. And I think that's what cap- is capturing this documentary. I just like the way that they put it together. And they didn't necessarily try to be so grandiose with. We got detail like, oh, how he was born and raised and, oh, this is how he became a musician and, oh, this is how his downfall or his comeback and then, you know, his troubles in the 70s. I kind of like, I like when documentaries do that because they don't leave then a lot out. Although it did make me laugh, ironically, Tom, that the special is like, what, 55 minutes to an hour and the the movie is like double the length about the history <laughs> of the special. Like it just kind of makes me laugh yeah. a little. Well, uh, you you yeah. everyone everyone's got new stories to tell, you know. Plus, they brought in a lot of audience members. They brought yeah. in some of the dancers, you know, and they brought in the uh, people that work behind the scenes and all that. So yeah, it has to be. And luckily, a lot of those people are still with us, right? Tell the story. I mean, Steve Bender is probably close to 90, 90 years now so we're lucky we still have their their they're still here to give us their memories about it yeah i i really enjoyed it i highly recommend reinvented Elvis, which is streaming by the way on paramount plus it did play in some theaters over the summer uh but you could check it out on that streaming channel and i Cannot recommend enough. And if you're not a believer in Elvis, which I think is crazy, I think you should absolutely like Elvis. Watch that special. Like it, it's a, it's 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 just one of the most spellbinding music concert movies specials I think I've ever seen in my life. It's absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, Tom, for coming on the show, and we got to you. talk about your number one, number one, the King. 
This is just like Steve Bender said when Elvis was on stage, we can't get him off. Once he got on, we couldn't get him off. When it's the same thing with me with Elvis. Once I get going, we'll be here all night. It could be six hour uh, podcast. A mini we series. could do a side <laughs> podcast on Elvis. <laughs> just, just, just Elvis. Rock and retrospect the Elvis years. <laughs> I think the, now the viewers are going to want Elvis spinoff podcast. The, the, po- the post, the post, uh, the post seventy seven years. The opening of Graceland. We could just go on forever and ever and oh ever. Oh my god! It, yeah, <laughs> and all the movies and the. That that were based upon Elvis's life oh, and his music. God. Oh God, yeah. he never like that's the thing about him is he he only lived till barely forty two, and yet he lived such a full life and the music and spirit lives on. It's just incredible. Yeah, but uh, Tom, it was so wonderful talking to you tonight. And let me have you plug your social media. Uh, where can they find you? Oh, uh, well, uh, my blog, Tom Lane's music blog, I'm still on Twitter dash X, whatever it's called this week, um, at, at JetFan1. And um, I'm also on Facebook, too. I'm Tom Lane. You can probably find me public profile. So easy to find. Excellent. Give Tom a follow and check out his work on his blog. It's highly recommended on my end you can of course follow the podcast at rock and retro pod on twitter x whatever you want to call it we're on facebook instagram and threads leave us a review on apple Podcasts if you're listening through apple Podcasts. that helps people discover the show all the wonderful content we create and thank you to our listeners for checking out this episode and (laughs) 